This is VOCM Open Line. Call 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. The views and opinions of this program are not necessarily those of this station. The biggest conversation in Newfoundland and Labrador starts now. Here's VOCM Open Line host, Patty Daly. Well, all right. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly. He is off today. Just had to turn the lights up a little bit. Jerry Lynn had it lit like a 1970s rec room in here. Very ambient. <laughs> but I can't see, see? So I had to turn it all up. Uh, anyway, uh, good morning to you all on this. Uh, well, we're waiting on a on a pretty big uh, winter storm system coming our way. Um, some schools are closed. Some schools have a uh, early dismissal time. What are your thoughts on that after the situation in Corner Brook there a few weeks ago? Um, just wondering if you're satisfied with the way that has, is all playing out. Uh, but uh, we'll keep you up to date on any further cancellations and, uh, and the storm system as it moves into the uh, central and eastern portions of the island. Well, uh, because of that storm system, the uh, by-election in Portugal Cove St. Phillips has been uh, put off until tomorrow as we await uh, what's going to happen, this little bit of a dumping. Uh, fairly low-key to date, I have to say. No real, uh, you know... Um I, I don't know, captivating kind of issues coming forward in the district. Uh, it's been relatively quiet. Our question of the day, asking people if they're paying attention to it. Um, some would argue it is a must win for the PCs uh, because uh, David Brazel had been, um, uh, you know, representing that district for so long. Um, but it remains to be seen for people in the running, um, all worthy candidates. But um, what will the outcome mean in the end? Uh, hard to say at this stage, but again, um, not hearing any real issues. I'm really surprised. I expected to hear a lot more debate on the ferries and the uh, intra-provincial ferry system. So if anybody has any thoughts on what kind of issues they want to see addressed in that particular district or uh, whether this uh, district... Um, represents any of the concerns that you have in your part of the province. I would certainly like to hear what you have to say about that. And I would imagine there is another by-election in the offing in the next little while following the uh, very tragic passing of uh, Derek Bragg in um, the district of Fogo, um, uh, Kate Friel. So if uh, anybody has uh, any thoughts on that, they're certainly welcome to give us a call. Well, I uh, see plenty, and this, this is a story that's uh, captivated me. I don't know about you, and I, I don't know if you've seen some of the amazing pictures that have come out uh, regarding this uh, particular story. VOCM News carried um, the story over the weekend, so you can catch the pictures at VOCM.com if you haven't seen them already floating around on social media. Uh, but I'm seeing plenty of speculation. It's really ramping up now among amateur historians about the identity of that ship that was exposed and washed up at the beach at Cheeseman's Cove near Cape Ray. I don't know if you saw, uh, it was one thing to see, you know, the, these massive pieces of wood on the beach at uh, Cheeseman's Cove, and, and people have been sharing those pictures uh, broadly, but it was a whole other thing to get that drone footage from above and just to see 
the size of this thing. So it's really captivated people's imagination. Lots of shipwrecks off that coast, as we all know. And uh, the speculation is, is that this one is um, dating back possibly to the 1800s because of the construction methods used there and the size of the timber uh, involved in that particular ship. So it appears to be, you know, a fairly substantive and uh, large um, sailing ship of a bygone era. Um, what its story is, we don't know yet. But if anybody has any thoughts or speculation, particularly people on the southwest coast, because I know there are an awful lot of uh, people who watch um, uh, maritime history very closely in that area, I'd like to hear what you have to say and give me your thoughts. What do you think it is? Any ideas? by all means, do give us a call. Well, as you know, there was an education accord that was announced last week, and that has the opposition uh, wondering what could possibly come of that. Uh, Paul Din says the announcement of Education Accord NL, which is due by the end of the year, is yet another in a long list of studies into the education system that's currently sitting on the shelf. He cites eight different reports and studies saying there is enough information already available to act, but government is kicking the can down the road. And he, he lists them, the, the public post-secondary education review report, which is uh, very recent. The Premier's Task Force on Education, which seemed to get uh, put off by COVID and the like. The Symposium on Early Learning uh, on Learning Loss Due to COVID-19 uh, directly related to COVID. Uh, Child and Youth Advocate Report on Chronic absenteeism, which has been a very serious concern in the school system for some time now. Uh, teacher Allocation Review Committee report, which was done quite some time ago. Uh, teacher Recruitment and Retention Think Tank, a review of the operating grant program for child care services and the Deputy Minister of Education uh, transformation. I'd like to hear what you have to say about that. What do you want to see in the education system? It affects us all, whether you have children in the system or not, it affects each and every one of us. Well, um, I had a busy weekend this weekend, lots of hockey tournaments and the like on the go. Uh, really um, wonderful atmosphere at these uh, kinds of things. Very exciting, very fun, um, and uh, lots of good times had by all. And a lot of dedicated volunteers who put a lot of time and effort into making these things a success. And uh, kudos to each and every one of the uh, hosting committees who put off tournaments and the like, and all the many, many people that keep hockey going. That's why some of the headlines that have been coming out in recent days are so distressing to so many people. Former Ottawa Senators player Alex Formenton was charged by police in London, Ontario on Sunday morning. The lawyer for the former NHLer who currently plays pro hockey in Switzerland confirms in an email that his client is one of several players charged in relation to an accusation made in 2018 noting Alex will vigorously defend his innocence. London police are set to provide an update on February 5th and have declined to comment until then. Um, it's uh, one thing to see the uh, criminal justice system moving on this and uh, it will play out as it should. Uh, it was a whole other thing though when uh, we learned that Hockey Canada had uh, worked diligently I suppose to keep this out of the headlines and uh, to um, 
payoff, for want of a better word, using the money that was uh, put together by uh, people registering their kids in hockey across Canada. Uh, I'm sure uh, all the hockey families out there who have, uh, and it's not... um, a cheap endeavor by any means. It's expensive to keep your kid going in hockey um, or kids. And um, I'm sure that no uh, hockey family out there had any idea that uh, the money that the hard earned money that they were putting into keeping their kid on the ice and making them have fun and learn important life skills and all the like was being used in that way. Just uh, simply shocking. And it has, uh, I guess, shaken uh, to a lot of people, shaken them to the core about, you know, that kind of um, mentality. Uh, Hockey Canada, of course, had a a big uh, turnover um, as a result of the scandal coming to um, the forefront. And with any luck, um, you know, attitudes have changed, but uh, it's very troubling indeed. And it comes uh, in addition to this one. Police in Halifax say an investigation into an historic sexual assault allegation against members of Canada's 2002 World Junior Team have yet to be completed. The incident under investigation is alleged to have occurred in Halifax during the 2002-2003 World Junior Hockey Championship. In July of 2022, Halifax police confirmed opening an investigation around the same time that police in London, Ontario reopened an investigation into alleged sexual assault involving members of Canada's 2018 World Junior Team. Um, If you have any thoughts on that, you're certainly welcome to give us a call. But it is encouraging to see uh, that police are opening investigations into these events. Uh, It's uh, just too bad that it's taken this long to get to that stage. If you have any thoughts on that, you're certainly welcome to give us a call. Health Minister Tom Osborne says placing an end date on travel agency nursing contracts could create larger problems than it solves. We've been talking about this for some time and the nurses union in particular registered nurses union has been uh, asking the question as to uh, why government relies so heavily on travel nurses tom osborne was on last week uh, with uh, patty daly indicating that it came in off the street by the way uh, to um, uh, respond to some of these uh, questions but uh, mentioned that um If you were to eliminate or put an end date on travel nurses in Newfoundland and Labrador, that would cause more problems than it would solve uh, because travel nurses ostensibly are the ones that are filling gaps in hard-to-fill places, and um, they forego things like... Uh, health benefits and pensions and all the rest to get paid a higher salary uh, just to move around a bit um, for short-term type contracts. So um, if you have any thoughts on that, you're welcome to give us a call as well. I expect it should be a bit of a busier day today, um, David, because we have uh, some things that are closing or closing early and the like. So if you have any thoughts or anything you want to share with us, by all means, do so. Uh, We're going to start the show this morning with Margaret. You're on the air. Hello, Margaret. Hi there. Hi. What's on your mind? Okay, uh, I wanted to talk about uh, this. There was a long-term and personal care home survey uh, put out. Uh, it came out in a press release January 11th. And uh, the deadline for that is, uh, I haven't heard much about it, and I, I just wanted to, to point out to people that the deadline for that is 
the 31st, as far as I understand. And uh, I'd like to encourage anybody who's uh, dealing with long-term care homes, whether they're staff or they're uh, long-term care and personal care, there are sections in the in the questionnaire for both, to get their uh, comments in uh, and, and have their say. Because uh, as far as I can see, there's been no effort to uh, encourage uh, residents of homes to, to fill out the forms or staff of the homes. It just seems to have been the announcement was made and then it's just sort of left out in the mist. It's such an important issue and there is a silence surrounding it because a lot of family members are afraid to speak up about what they see or what they hear or what their loved one is telling them um, for fear, for you know, justified or not, uh, uh, for fear of some form of retaliation or that they're, somehow their loved one will suffer. But uh, the more we bring these things into the light, the the more, hopefully, attention it will get and changes will be made. Well, I, well, that's my hope. But one thing I was pleased with when I filled out the form was that you, can, you don't have to identify the home uh, and you don't have to identify yourself. So, uh, so it's, uh, you, can, you can do it relatively anonymously from what I can see. You know, so, uh, you know, I like that fact, uh, though it, it is helpful to me, or in my opinion, that if, if people, you know, identify at least the home, they don't have to identify themselves, right? But I know, like, yeah, that, well, even if the residents uh, are not afraid, they're not comfortable doing that, uh, you know, well, I shouldn't say they're not comfortable. I would have liked the government to have put in a, a phone number that people could phone and just uh, have their say or have somebody fill out the uh, uh, the form for them. There's so much emphasis on digital now. And when you're dealing with older people, uh, well, even younger people, some people are just not comfortable with the technology. And what's your interest in it, Margaret? Uh, I live in a home. <laughs> and um, are there changes that you'd like to see that, you know, from your um, standpoint? Well, personally, I think the homes should all be government controlled. I think uh, the government owned, right? I, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of uh, private sector ownership. I think it's too risky. Um, uh, the, uh, you know, you're, and you're at the whim of the owners. I mean, well, uh, you probably heard it. Uh, some of the comments that were made uh, this spring when they were announcing the uh, increases in in uh, in uh, uh, rents in the, in the homes. Uh, some of the homes, not mine, but uh, but some of the homes basically said, "Well, suck it up, right?" And uh, I'm going like, "You're dealing with older people. You've told them this is their home." Uh, and now it's like, you don't like it, go away. I don't like the attitude. And uh, I mean, I know uh, the owners have had a struggle through the through the pandemic and everything, and uh, the residents have basically adapted. But there's got to be care for the residents. People got to care for the residents. They got to care for their staff. They got to... Uh, they gotta uh, make uh, make people feel like uh, they're not just fixtures. Somebody that they can oh, they're just shelves, right? You know, and I don't know if that's you know we, uh, we've been relatively lucky, but uh, 
uh, there are days when you sort of go like, oh, you know, it's like it's getting hard. It's hard to get staff. It's hard to keep staff. But sometimes I wonder if the owners care. Uh, you know, it's just like having bodies just fill slots. Margaret, you said you're not a big fan of um, privately owned uh, long-term care, personal care homes, but we have an awful lot in this province that are privately uh, owned. So how would you like to see that uh, addressed, if at all? Well, I, you know, I haven't looked into it and I don't know the economics of it. And, I'm, and, I, and I know that there are some privately owned homes that are, uh, that are wonderful, but I just think that... Uh, like I just look at sometimes, uh, you know, when you're dealing with private sector, you're dealing with uh, uh, people who are worried, worried about making a profit. And when you're make, worried about making a profit, then uh, the residents are, you know, just not your top priority. And I think that uh, the residents have to be, a, a, to me, a top priority, uh, you know, because it's just... Um, it's just too risky to to uh, to uh, uh, to leave it to people who uh, are trying to economically survive. What do you see as the 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 top issue? Is it staffing? Is it funding? What what would it be? Well, I mean, from what I understand, they got a lot of additional funding this spring. But uh, uh, from where I'm seeing, in my particular case, it's, it seems to be staffing. Being able to get and keep good good staff um, has been a uh, has been an ongoing issue. Uh, I you know, and I don't know if it's the general economy or if it's our home in particular. And of course, um, uh, the staffing in long-term care homes has a direct impact on the entire health care system because that's what we're seeing when it comes to certain delays in the hospital system is uh, people who are waiting uh, long-term care beds. They can't get in anywhere because there's not adequate staffing to get them in. Well, and that's, uh, you know, well, I, it's amazing to me. We always seem to have money for anything expensive uh, and, and for the people at the top, but we never seem to have money for the people uh, who, uh, who uh, keep the, place, the places going on a day-to-day basis. And when we're talking about our senior popu- population in particular, uh, it seems as though they're dispendable for some reason. It, uh, you know, that's that's the general feeling anyway. Is it, it doesn't it involve me, so therefore, you know, it doesn't bother me. But uh, someday, God willing, we'll all be going that way. If you know what well, I mean. <laughs> yes, we kind of we kind of forget that uh, someday it might be us, and uh, uh, you know, and uh, when you lose your power, uh, it's very frustrating. And when you have to depend on other people to do. Uh, well, to help keep you mobile and keep you on the goals, it uh, it gets very exasperating some days. Yeah, so, frustrating for sure. Well, Margaret, you know, I, uh, I I really appreciate your call this morning. Uh, the deadline, as you said, for uh, uh, people to have their voices heard on long term care and personal care home review is uh, the thirty first. Get your yeah, opinions now, in. It's hard to it's hard to find a survey. Is uh, that right? Yes. Uh, when I went looking the other day, I went to Engage NL, wasn't there. I went to, uh, um, I searched uh, press releases, 
No, I didn't. I don't forget how I held church. But anyway, I ended up finding it. Department of Health press release, news releases, January 11th is where the link is. January 11th, 2024. And you can find it there. Yeah. And that's not easy to find. Well, it wasn't for me, but, uh, you know, and, and I mean, I'm not too bad with the Internet, but like if it's somebody... Well, I know some people that looked and just gave it up in exasperation, you know, so. That's too bad because that's almost as if it's, you know, not really an effort, if you know what I mean, on government's part. Well, like I said, as far as I, well, I have concerns about the government's efforts to engage people. Everything seems to be online, but like I said, I thought, well, I'll go to Engage NL. That would make sense, right? And there's evidently it's not the right department because it's not mentioned there. And uh, so I said, okay, so where else can I look? And I looked up in their MNP because that's the company that's doing the thing. There's no link off their page. Um, there's, um, uh, you know, so like I said, I mean, it, just, it took me a while to find it. Somebody said, well, they've taken it down. I said, well, no, but, you know, like I said, we just found that one link. And uh, so, uh, uh, you know, when, we, when I went back and looked. And like I said, I mean, the other thing is, and I don't, if anybody in government is looking, it would be really nice if you're trying to talk to seniors to have a phone number that they can phone in and have somebody fill out the form for them. Yeah, absolutely. Margaret, I'm so glad you called us this morning. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Alrighty. Bye-bye. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Uh, and uh, any thoughts on uh, that, the uh, current long-term and personal care home review? I'd like to hear what you have to say, by all means. Here are the numbers to do so. And we are back, and we're going to go to Tina. You're on the air. Hi, Tina. Hello, Hi. Tina. Hi. Um, I got a problem here now, right now. Um. I moved from central Newfoundland, and I brought my two cats, both females, and they were done. So uh, I broke up with my ex-boyfriend, and I moved up here on the hill. Right now, I got seven cats, and I've tried to, you know, get them done and everything. So last year. How did you end up with seven cats? I mean, Gala. And I'll just explain it. Okay. okay. Yep. It's Linda, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, Linda is terrible. And I've seen so many cats dying on the road and everything, but just second now. So you're taking in stray cats in the area? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. All right. And you're in Gull Island in Conception Bay North? Yes. Okay. Um, So you've got uh, seven cats there. Some of them are done and some are not? Yes. All right. for me uh, right now um five days ago i went on my bridge or everybody makes fun because i'm from central so anyway 
they says not a bridge it's just a doorstep so last week a lot of people say bridge don't you worry about it last week I took my slippers off and was a cat rose to my bridge and I didn't think she was going to make it so I made up um, roll oats and give her a bit of milk and and actually she likes watermelon and all that and I've called SPCI and I've called to whoever I could because I'm on income support right now and I was never on income support and I got three tomcats there and they all want to come in my house Linda what can I do so, well, I mean, you can only do what you can do. Um, so you've called the SPCA, you called Bacaloo Trail, is that right? Yes. And are they able to come up and, and pick up a few cats for you? No. No. Did they tell you why? Um, because one of them was a pharaoh. Right. And the pharaoh I had now is... He's been living here six months. And I went down to Old Perlican and he put in seven stitches in me. Oh, he tore you up? Yes. Okay. Um, so you are you didn't take in the feral cat, did you? Yeah, I did. Oh, okay. Well, um, they're... They're wild animals, feral cats, so it's very difficult to handle them. I think you need to know how to handle them, if you know what I mean. Uh, yes, and you know what? He's been here now the last two years. Oh, wow. So anyway, um, the person owned the feral cat. He his other two cats, and during it in my house. All right, well, Tina, what, uh, so I guess what you're saying is you're looking for a little help? course yeah uh, so what are you hoping to do for people to take some of the cats from you or what yes okay and does gull island have a problem with feral cats maybe okay and tina I mean, oh sorry um sorry you faded oh. off there um, um is this your number the one we got yeah. here now. Uh, so if anyone has any help to provide, will can Dave give your number to them? You know what, my love? What? In three nails was done, they would be perfect. Uh-huh. And I would keep them. Right. But you just, you need some help. Yeah. Yeah. I do. All right. Well, Tina, there's an awful lot of animal lovers out there. Uh, Dave's got your number. Would Would you give us your permission to pass your number along if anyone has any help oh, to provide? Definitely. definitely. All right. And 
I'm a lover of cats, and I think Smokey, the one that I had to go to hospital and I had to have stitches and everything, I think Smokey would be a really good cat for someone else. All right. Well, I'm glad you called this morning. You're obviously uh, at a stage where you're looking for some help. Um, someone is telling us that um, Cats Amber's Safe Haven for Cats or Ghoul's Cat Rescue. Uh, if they can't help, they will recommend someone. Somebody texted that to us. Um, yeah. I also yeah. know that uh, there's a, um, a group in um, Carboneer that um, helps to foster out cats and the like. Uh, anyway, I've talked to people in Carboneer and Smokey is feral, but like I'm here in my uh, two bedroom house and he'll sleep with me, but as soon as he, another cat comes, he'll attack me. So right now, I don't know. I'm going to have to go to the hospital. Oh, my dear, you have to take that seriously. If if you've got, uh, you know, an infection or anything like that, you should go to the hospital for sure. Yeah. Are you able to get up to old Perlican? Yes. All right. Yeah. Well, you take care of yourself. We've got your number. If anybody has any uh, help to offer, uh, we'll pass your number along, and you get yourself uh, to see a doctor or or go to the hospital if you think you have an infection or something that needs to be seen to. Thank you, Linda. All right. You take care. Okay. All righty. Bye-bye. And we're getting lots and lots of messages from people with uh, some advice to give. Uh, We'll pass that along when we come back immediately following the break. You're listening to VOCM Open Line. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions. Plus, interviews with today's newsmakers. Your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays. Your VOCM mornings. And with the uh, winter weather that's uh, heading our way, uh, Canada Post is offering a little reminder, as it says, to Newfoundlanders and Labradorians uh, uh, with some tips to help keep our people safe. Remove snow and ice from your walkways, driveway, and around your mailbox. De-ice your stairs, entrance, and the path to your mailbox using sand or salt. Keep your stairs, handrails, and mailbox free of obstructions and in good repair. Well, here's my question. Is there much door-to-door mail delivery anymore? I know there was a little pocket there in uh, the downtown area that had kept it for ever so long. Is that still happening? Um, uh, most people have mail boxes, do they not? The uh, you know the community mailboxes. Anyway, uh, I'm just asking the question. I don't know. Somebody can answer me. Um, anyway, we're going to go now to Michael. You're on the air. Hi, Michael. Uh, hello. Hi. How are you? I've had better days. Uh oh. Well, uh, we have a missing dog that, that we're trying to keep, get people to keep an eye out for. Okay, where did the dog go missing from? Uh, the lower half of Southside Road on the Fort Amherst side. Uh, lower la- side, uh, Southside. Pass and turn off to Shea Heights. Okay, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, down towards the harbor, like. Yes. And uh, uh, what kind of a dog is it? Uh, it's a mixed breed dog, actually. We're not sure what breed. Okay, uh, what color? Uh, brown, light brown. Uh, light brown, long, short hair. 
short hair uh, about up to my waist, so it's not a small dog, so it should be noticeable. Medium size or large? Medium to large, yes. Okay, male, female? Uh, female. Her name's Desi. Betty? Desi. Desi. D E Z I. Okay, Desi. And is she wearing a collar? I do believe so, yes. Okay, and does she answer to her name? She does, but she might be a bit skittish because she just made a trek all the way from Calgary to Newfoundland. Oh, I see. So she doesn't know the area. Not one bit. So oh, we're so she's that afraid. She's continue to be lost. But oh. she was last seen this morning on Southside Road in that area, but not quickly enough for us to have responded. Oh, I see. I see. Oh, the poor little thing. All right. So if anyone's seen Desi, who should they call? Um, they can get a hold of me at at 730-1124. Okay. Now, keep in mind, it's not my dog, it's my sister's dog, but she's currently out searching, so I, I wanted to do what I could. Absolutely. And as you know, um, Michael, there are an awful lot of animal lovers out there um, who will probably join in that search. 730-1124 if you've seen Desi. Yes. All right. Thank you, and let us know if you find her. We, I will indeed. Thank you very much. All righty. Bye-bye. So if you see a uh, mixed breed, light brown dog, uh, medium to large size, answers to Desi somewhere in the area of the Southside Road in St. John's, uh, the number to call is 730-1124. We're going to go now to uh, John Siri with Drive Electric NL. Hello, John. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Oh, not too bad. So we got a new year ahead of us, and I know things have been a little bit, uh, you know, challenged, if you will, through the uh, whole post-COVID era and supply chain issues and all the like. But how are we shaping up for um, electric vehicle sales in Newfoundland and Labrador? So we just got some new numbers back from uh, government on vehicle registrations, and we added about 500 new electric vehicles over the last year. And if you look at the trend, you'll see that each year, year over year, there's more and more registrations of these cars. Uh, so we're at the beginning of the S-curve. So over the next uh, decade or so, you're going to see a really fast ramp up if we follow the same path that has occurred elsewhere in the country and around the world. Um, if you look too farther west, if you look at BC, about one in four cars being uh, registered now are fully electric. So we can expect to see a similar trend coming here. And what's uh, driving people, pardon the pun, uh, towards uh, electric vehicles? What What's making them make that change? So there's a couple of things. Um, the, 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 the biggest thing which everybody can identify with is, you know, very high fuel prices and maintenance costs that come with a gas powered vehicle you're spending eight times as much to drive one of those compared to what you would expect to spend for you know per kilometer for an electric uh that's one thing um we've got more availability there's more dealers with these vehicles available in stock on their lots or with a relatively short lead time as the, the season come in um <clears throat> we're still a little frustrated that some manufacturers are only making the higher trims which puts the cost of the vehicle a bit higher but there are others that have the more affordable models, you know, coming available, which is great. Um, a lot of people also are just more and more cognizant of their environmental foot- footprint. And if, you know, given an option to drive something that doesn't have the emissions of a gas car, they look at that and say, that's what I want to do. And, you know, you can't, you can't argue with that. You might have an opinion on that. 
but the reality is, um, you know, you're not doing that same impact to the environment for every kilometer you drive when you're driving electric, especially in our province, where we've got 98% of our power across the board is from renewable sources. I mean, that's that's excellent. Anything in the uh, the, the government stats, those 500 new electric vehicles on the road, anything to indicate where they are? Um, I didn't see anything on that, but um, anecdotally, I can tell you, of course, you know, a lot of them around the St. John's metro area. But we have people that are getting these cars all around the province and in the Labrador. Um, <clears throat> you know, you look at Labrador, you look at the, the size of Labrador. I mean, this, this province is huge, and we don't enjoy the same closeness that many other provinces might have or elsewhere in the world. And getting, you know, across Labrador when there's absolutely nothing between points or very, very little for, for charging infrastructure and so on, that's always going to be a challenge. I mean, that's a reality. Um, but it is doable. Um, and there are solutions that allow for intermediate charging points to be installed, uh, you know, in different ways. Uh, but we're still getting new users in, uh, new owners, I should say, in uh, you know remote parts of the province. And the biggest reason is that if you're in somewhere like Grand Falls and you have to commute to neighboring communities uh, or go into St. John's or into the major centers or to Cornerbrook or whichever, this means you're doing a lot of driving. You're doing a lot of distance. And if you can make that work in an electric car, your savings are just that much bigger. So, you know, people might, you know, people might say, oh, this is great for, you know, commuter car, for city driving and so on. But the reality is, if you're in one of these places where you have those long distances, take a look at, you know, the electric option and see, can you make it work? And, you know, usually you can. And, and as more and more charging infrastructure comes around, you'll see how it works. Well, indeed. And, and what about that infrastructure, that needed infrastructure? Because as we know, the federal government now is putting a push on that. Um, but uh, what kind of infrastructure is needed, especially in a province with such a relatively low population and huge geography? Yeah, so that's a good question. A lot of people that haven't been driving electric, they look around and they say, well, I see lots of gas stations. I don't see lots of chargers. So we must have, you know, we're going to need more chargers. And that's not how it works. Most of the time, more than 95% of the time, you're charging at home. You're charging with that little charger that's mounted to the side of your house or in your garage or wherever you park, and it can be outdoors or indoors. Um, and that's doing most of your charging. You're driving all day. You're coming home. So, you know, you don't look around and see a bunch of cell phones and say, well, I don't see any chargers, so these can't work. Everybody has a charger at home. Likewise, so the only time that you're using the, the public charging and chargers on the side of the highway and so on are for the visitors for the area. So people that are you know, commuting from outside of the city or visiting the province from away are the ones that are going to be using those chargers. And for that, we have 33, 33 fast charging sites around the province now. There are plans to supplement uh, the key ones, the busy ones, with ultra-fast chargers, which means that you won't even have time to, uh, you know, have a long meal. You'll have time to grab a, a coffee and a sandwich and a bathroom break before you're ready to go again. And that's, again, on that once in a, you know, every few months long trip that you might want to do. The other thing that we're going to see now in the coming uh, coming time is we'll hopefully see more private investment in charging infrastructure. It doesn't need to be just the power companies that install these things or things that are done with uh 
government backing. So you'll have a choice then where where you want to charge. And if you are commuting into the city and you're staying overnight at a hotel or something like that, find a hotel that has the charging infrastructure and then you're charged up and ready to head back the next day. And when it t- comes to those uh, charges for your home, um, what do you need to know or, or have uh, in place in order to have that installed? So that's uh, it's not as complicated as people might fear. Uh, a, a basic level two charger, I mean, they, they started at around $700 and go up from there. And the electrician cost to install one um, varies depending on how far you are from your panel and things like that. If you have an older home with smaller service, uh, you could opt to either have a panel upgrade done or you might uh, choose to share the circuit with another device like a dryer or something like that. So your charger would run when the dryer is not. So there's options like that. Um, Generally looking at the cost savings that you get from being able to charge at home. I mean, you put these things in, you pay for it once to get it installed, and that's it. You don't uh, don't feel like you have to go back to a gas station anymore because that becomes your fueling stop. In terms of those uh, 500 new vehicles uh, on the road, um, any idea what the demand is? In other words, what the wait list might be? That depends on brand. And, you know, if you look at uh, different brands, so, uh, you know, Tesla is generally shipping them pretty quickly. Uh, They might even have vehicles already, you know, manufactured and available as quickly as you can get delivery, you know, made to the province. Um, other other brands uh, like uh, Hyundai and Kia and Volkswagen and so on uh, would have you know vehicles here right away on in stock. Uh, lead time on some of the other brands are all over the place, and we're still getting reports of people walking into a dealership and being told, "Yeah, it's going to be two years or four years or stuff like this." And if you're being, if you're hearing that from a brand, if you're hearing that from a dealer, what they're basically saying is that that manufacturer is not really interested in making electric cars work, and that's signaling a huge shift in brand preference based on the fact that you know when someone decides that they want the savings from electric, that they want the less environmental impact from electric, that they want the convenience of charging at home, and and just the joy of the fun and the performance of these cars because they are such a joy to drive um, that might mean that you're going to have to change brands if you're loyal to one brand all along I know one question that I keep hearing people uh, raise time and time again is maintenance Uh, what's the maintenance like on an electric vehicle how much does it cost to get get them maintained and where can you get them maintained yeah, so that varies, again, by brand. Uh, you know, anything that you buy from a dealer here should be maintained by the dealer. But the maintenance is different than a gas car. So obviously you don't have oil changes. There's a whole slew of maintenance requirements on every gas car that are done at different intervals to do with the gas engine, everything from um, you know timing belts and O2 sensors and all the rest of it uh, down to uh, you know the regular oil changes and oil and filter and, and so on. These these pieces don't exist in the electric car. Uh, so usually, when you look at the maintenance on something like, say, the uh, the F one fifty fully electric, it's a bunch of inspections that are done every sixteen thousand. Um, if you go to the extreme with Tesla, Tesla's maintenance requirements are zero, nothing. You buy the car, you drive it, and if there's an issue, you report it on the app, and it gets serviced, and that's it. Uh, so it's it's a big shift, and it's part of the cost savings of owning these vehicles is 
this idea of every 8,000, you've got to you know, trot back into the dealership and pull out all the oil and change the filter and check a whole bunch of things and goodness knows what else. I mean, those sorts of costs, when I was first driving, when I first owned my own vehicle and my own gas vehicle, they become really scary. They uh, they can add up. And in some of them, some of the intervals at 48,000, 96,000 were, you know, how am I going to afford this? And, and, you know, in my first job and trying to cover the insurance payments and the vehicle payments. And then when I see the cost of these services coming in and, you know, and, and they, you know, if you don't get them done, you don't have a warranty and these sorts of things. I mean, that becomes really, really concerning. And we're happy to see these these sorts of costs fade away and melt away when you have the better technology in the car. A wide range of, um, you know, selection there now. I mean, is it uh, primarily smaller sedans or can you get the SUVs and the trucks and the whole gamut? Yeah. So, yes, there's, you know, your SUV crossover, which is pretty popular. Just about every, every brand has one of those. There's the smaller ones like uh, the Chevy Bolt is around and uh, the Nissan Leaf and, and so on. Um, the F-150 truck is very, uh, very popular. I have one of those myself now for a year and a half. I'm coming up to 40,000 kilometers on it. I don't have anything that I can't do with that truck that I wasn't able to do with all the trucks I had before that, you know, and back and forth to work sites. I'm out to, you know, work sites outside of the city. Uh, I'm towing with it. I'm putting cargo in it. I'm taking lots of people in it. I've done long drives with it. I can't find anything that I can't do with that truck in a fully electric that I would do with the gas. In fact, there's stuff I can do with the truck that I couldn't do with the gas because I'm also a mobile power source for job site power. Um, so those are available. Uh, full-size SUVs, I've seen one or two brands now start to come out with some of those, and they're becoming available on the lots across Canada. So if we don't have them here now, they'll be very soon uh, of different brands. So lots of options. And, of course, um, you know, I mentioned Tesla. They don't have a dealership here in the province, but they are opening a uh, sales and service center in Burnside, Dartmouth, in Nova Scotia, uh, very, very soon, which will have all of that there as well, and will service our, our province. Um, what about, uh, you know, their performance in, in weather? We see all types of weather here, right from the very bitter, deep cold to the wet and miserable, <laughs> you know what I mean, yeah. and the ice and the snow and everything else. How do they perform in, uh, you know, the, the wintry types of weather that we get here? So, uh, we'll... Uh, come back to the battery question in a minute. So you're sitting in your gas car, <clears throat> you go out and track the snow and you start it up and you let it warm up the engine, warm up the uh, radiator and the transmission, all the rest of it, and then start putting some heat into the uh, into the cabin. Or you might have remote start and the thing is out there idling away while you get the snow and ice cleared off of it. Uh, with the electric, you do your remote start through your app on your phone and you're still plugged into your charger uh, the heat is almost immediate. You know, within within the first minute or so, you're starting to feel the cabin temperature warm up because it's not trying to warm up that full engine and all the the rest of the uh, you know the cars uh, you know, the engine area first before you get heat in the cabin. It's immediately putting heat in the cabin, and that will also then um, most models precondition the battery. So the batteries they don't lose all their charge in cold weather. They just don't have the same way of getting the charge out of the battery when it's cold. So what a lot of uh, electric vehicles do is allow you to warm up that battery while you're still connected at home before you set off for the day. 
So now you get all your range back by simply reading the manual and just saying, okay, just tell the car to preheat either on a schedule or when you need it to go uh, prior to leaving, and uh, you've got all that range back. Plus, your cabin is nicely warmed up. Your seats are warm, the snow and ice are melted off the vehicle. Um, as far as handling, the, the vehicles generally have their battery at a very low point, like under the floor. So your center of gravity is really low. They're very, very stable. I had a situation last last winter. I took the exit ramp coming off of Route 2 heading west. I usually don't go that way. And what I realized is the entire slowdown portion of the exit lane was under snow. And when I took the exit, I didn't have anywhere to slow down before I realized I was now having to turn. And I honestly knew I knew I was going to be going off the road, but the, the vehicle held it. It tracked it through the turn. It stayed right in the lane. And I had no no experience, no reason to think that it was going to do that. And it's just because it's a heavy, low center of gravity vehicle that was able to do that handling. So uh, it's they're they're really good in snow and just really comfortable. They have a lot of things there that just make it an, a nicer ownership experience. John, we're overdue for a break, but I do appreciate your time. I'm getting lots of feedback on uh, on um, the email uh, from people uh, uh, with lots of questions. Unfortunately, I, ha- I can't put them to you right now, but uh, I would encourage people to call and uh, let us know what they think about EVs. Thanks so much. Happy to follow up anytime. All righty. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, and we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we hope to speak with you. And because I went so long with the last call, uh, we are up to a break now for the news. Uh, but now is your opportunity to give us a call. We have had a flood of emails from people um, really not loving the whole idea of electric cars. If you've got anything to say about that, by all means, give us a call. Now's your chance. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. And we're back. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly, just having a look at the uh, radar there. And uh, Buren Peninsula already seeing the snow, as is uh, the Conagra Peninsula. If you're not seeing it in uh, Branch and Trapassi, you should be any moment. Um, and uh, we can expect to see that snow pretty widespread. Uh, according to the uh, the radar, a big portion of the island going to be affected uh, by that in the coming hours. So um, plan accordingly as they say. We are going to go now to uh, Ed Smith, who's joining us from Ontario. Hello, Ed. Good morning, Linda. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good, good. Well, you reached out to me on the weekend uh, after um, seeing our story about that shipwreck off uh, Cheeseman's Cove, and uh, you're a bit of a, a maritime history buff, and you have some thoughts on it. What are they? My thoughts are in the heart that the vessel uh, found is much younger than what was thought, uh, that uh, it, it's a 134-ton motorized schooner uh, that was built in Buren in 1935. Uh, my feeling is that uh, that vessel, uh, which was on its second fishing trip, uh, only a second fishing trip. It was a brand new vessel. Uh, was out on the west coast and was cut down by a much larger uh, ocean liner, uh, a 15 
thousand ton ocean liner, uh, which was five times the size of the the the, uh, the Newfoundland fishing boat. The Newfoundland fishing boat uh, was fishing about uh, 25 miles off Cape Ray, uh, and uh, had 26 men aboard, schoonermen from the south coast, and. Uh, after the vessel was caught, their vessel was cut in two uh, in fog. Uh, they managed to the the, the stern part, portion of the, of the vessel was big enough uh, that it stayed afloat for a while, and they managed to launch five or six dories and abandon the schooner before it went to the bottom. Um, it was a brand new vessel, and uh, I figure after after it was cut in two, the stern portion, which was the larger larger would have been the larger portion of the vessel, uh, stayed afloat uh, probably a good while and, and drifted towards the shore uh, from 25 miles out, and eventually did sink and. You know, with the storms and stuff, as was reported in recent times, uh, it got driven to more and more and more towards the shore and uh, finally landed where it is right now. Um, that's that's my feeling on it. Uh, if you look at the pictures, the pictures that you posted on VOCM, you can see that some of the spikes that they're talking about weren't wooden. If you look, one or two of them are bent. They're steel steel pins or steel bolts, in my opinion. Uh, if they were iron, uh, they wouldn't bend like that as much either. So, uh, and if you look at the planking, I mean, the planking uh, is just brand new stuff. It's not, uh, it doesn't look old. It doesn't look uh, any, you know, uh, it doesn't look uh, 100 or more years old. It looks recent. Uh, so, so what would uh, be the name of this vessel be if, if this is a candidate? Okay, well, the vessel I'm talking about is the 134-ton motorized schooner Beatrice Vivian. Now, it could be called the Beatrice and Vivian, but uh, I call it Beatrice Vivian. Uh, Out of Buren? Out of Buren. It was built in Buren. It was built in Buren uh, in 1935, one year before it was cut in two. Now, some people have been saying that uh, you have to see it to to uh, get a uh, real sense of the, the size of this thing, but the, some people are saying that the, uh, the size of the timbers is just too big to have been uh, built here. Oh, uh, no. No, it's not. No, uh, that uh, those timbers look the way they should look built on the south coast it's a uh, uh, you look at it uh, uh, I'm losing my train of thought here now uh, you look at it long enough you'll see that there are new timbers uh, I bet if they t test those timbers they'll find that it's not oak it's probably Newfoundland wood right from the, the country here and uh, uh Everything bears out what I'm saying from what I'm seeing, you know. I mean, it's my opinion. Uh, 
But even if that's the case, even if it's the Beatrice Vivian and not some ancient wreck that they're talking about, uh, you know, uh, you still got a pretty important wreck on the go there. You got one that basically the the, the steamer that cut it in two is the uh, out of Scotland, the, out of Glasgow, the called the it was the Ocean Liner California. Uh, she was with the anchor line, and she was on a, a voyage from Glasgow, Scotland, to uh, to Quebec, and uh, at the time, and she was five times the size of the Beatrice Vivian. She was she was 500 feet in length. Okay. And was now, there any loss of life there? You say some of them got their dories out, but was there any loss of life? There was no loss of life. Uh, there were five or six dories launched. Like I say, the crew was 26 men. The captain was Jim Gosling out of Buren. The mate was Jim Way out of Buren. The engineer was, uh, by the way, that's the other thing, and I'm sure they'll find evidence of it, uh, that the, the, there was a motor in this thing. Even though it was a schooner, a sailing schooner of the day, it was one of the more advanced ones, the ones with with a... With a a uh, an auxiliary uh, motor aboard, you know, diesel engine aboard the thing. Uh, and you I, say I, this was 25 it, uh, miles out when it got 25 miles off the coast. Yeah, so was, the motor would be down on the bottom there somewhere. No, well, it, no, well, like I said to you, the stern portion floated. Okay. Remain afloat and would have drifted. Well, it was stayed afloat long enough that the the California, which was a much bigger liner, it was an ocean liner. Uh, it turned. It knew that it split, you know that it had hit a, a schooner over there, and it turned around, came back, and picked up all the 26 crew members uh, from the dories and transported them then to Halifax, Nova Scotia, where they found their way back then. And I would oh. imagine their descendants are alive today, you know, possibly still in Buren. I would say yes, their descendants for sure, yeah. I would say uh, 1935, well, you're talking 90 years ago. So, uh, uh, and by the way, one of the, one of the men aboard the, the boat was Edward Smith. Uh, no, <laughs> is that why you have interest? <laughs> uh, no, that's not why I have interest, but uh, it is a bit of a, <laughs> uh, to my mind, it's a bit of a coincidence, or if you believe in coincidence. <laughs> that's uh, amazing. And, and um, so obviously you're, you're a Newfoundlander living up along now. I'm from, I, well, I, I'm, I was born in Harbour Grace and I grew, uh, well, last 10 years before I left Newfoundland, I was in Carboneer. Oh, I see. Right on. Um, So, uh, and we'll see if uh, any other uh, maritime history buffs are out there who either agree or have another opinion on it. Okay, fine. I'd like to hear from them. And uh, like I say, I'd like to to let it be known uh, that I have a uh, a uh, 20,000 record database on Newfoundland ships which includes a written description of each of the each of the vessels and uh, it you know some of some of the vessels are more uh, intensely uh, described i guess than others some are very small uh, records and whatnot but i've tried to uh, 
put all the folklore that I could tell and uh, remember and recall and find in different records, different uh, references, and it's all referenced uh, so that uh, I didn't write anything down without, uh, you know, uh, showing where I got the idea or where I got the stuff. And uh, so, for instance, I'll give you an example on the Beatrice and Vivian. I uh, my references on that are uh, Reverend John Curry in his book uh, Sailors and Their Ships, uh, 1999. Otto Kellen, Dorries and Doryman uh, from uh, 1984. Robert Parsons' Wake of the Schooners, 1993. Robert Parsons' Toe of the Sea, 1995. Robert Parsons' Born Born Down by the Water, 19 or 2004. And my own notes, and um, there was even a story on that uh, on uh, in the Evening Telegram back uh, back in you know 1985. So interesting. I, well, maybe Robert Parsons might want to weigh in. What I'm trying to what, yeah, what I'm trying to do here, Linda, is uh, I'd like to just let it be known now. I I worked right up to last year. I'm 76 years old, so I worked up to last until last year, and I retired then. Anyway, this database that I have, I've been at it for 50 years, and um, I'm hoping that uh, I can donate it. So I'd like to donate it to the university. Um, uh, to Memorial University or the Maritime Archive or some some uh, institute that would, uh, you know... Uh, I'm sure the Maritime History Archive would be most interested. Well, uh, I'm hoping. So that's uh, that was the reason for me reaching out yesterday. Okay. Uh, uh, basically, I wanted to put in my five cents about the, the wreck, but, uh, but the main thing was just to let it be known. And if there's anyone out there that would like to contact me and talk about any of that stuff, I'd like to know. I'd like them to know that my email is uh, aesmith at bmts.com. Aesmith uh, at bmts? vmts.com dot yeah. com. All right. Well, Ed, uh, I appreciate that. We've uh, we've got a flood of calls coming in now, including some that want to talk about that wreck. Uh, so uh, listen, have a listen to us on v- vocm.com and see what they have to say. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank Linda. you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Uh, your thoughts? Give us a call. And we are back. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly. We're going to go now to Charlie. You're on the air. Hi, Charlie. Hi. Good morning, Linda. Uh, Linda, just uh, I wasn't going to comment on electric cars, but listening to John Siri uh, seven years ago when I bought my last vehicle, I swore the next one would, would be electric. Did you watch uh, Marketplace uh, this week? I did not. Not sure which one it was. Anyway, it was on electric cars, and uh, the the report was not good. <laughs> And, and I, I, I hesitate to say this because I, I, I'm certainly a proponent of uh, going electric. Uh, a lot of the, the uh, outlets didn't work. Uh, the, they tried going um, the specified distance, and they didn't make it. Uh, it was a fairly negative uh, report from Ontario, and you would think they would be far ahead of us in terms of... Uh, efficiency and so on so one guy uh, lost his battery it was 15 months before they supplied him with another he was open to get his money back from from his uh, uh, gas bills in that time i don't know if he will or not but anyway we're still in the in the infancy and uh, 
I just hope things can can improve before before I go ahead and make that purchase. Uh, did you want to say anything? No, I, it, but uh, I know that when uh, John was on, we got a flood of emails from uh, a variety of people, um, you know, just basically uh, saying that they didn't agree with, um, you know, the the rosy picture of uh, surrounding EVs. But I would encourage people to call us if they have those thoughts. Yeah, he, he was downplaying the, the, the winter thing. When, when you're using uh, this and this kind of... Uh, the range on those vehicles uh, doesn't uh, add up to what we uh, we need in winter, and I think they should be making adjustments, as it was suggested on that program for uh, uh, Canadian uh, cold weather driving. You know. Anyway, that's not what I called about. I, w- I was uh, interested in, a, in, a, in an article I read regarding the uh, insects and uh, what's happening to them worldwide. We've all heard stories about the monarch butterfly and it being threatened and so on. Last year, uh, I was when when the fruit trees come out, usually in June, uh, I always keep an eye on the pollination there, and I ended up pollinating uh, one of my trees with a paintbrush and uh, because there were very few bees. In the fall, uh, I had very few uh, plums and damsons on the other trees, but the one I did with the paintbrush, I had a, I had a good crop. And the story was about armies of people in China were hired last year to pollinate uh, plants with paintbrushes and feathers. Uh, this was because the loss of insects was so bad. Uh, and I, I thought that was... Uh, I, I, they attribute most of this to habitat loss. We we just simply uh, uh, grasslands and other areas. We just simply pave them over or use them for other purposes and so on. That and pesticides, I would imagine. And the other, yes, that was the the, the next pesticides and uh, fertilizers and so on. And um, they were encouraging people that most of us feel uh, in the light of what's happening worldwide, we can't do much. But you know, we can plant gardens of wildflowers. Uh, we can grow organically in some cases, and uh, some people talked about uh, the, the other suggestion was insect hotels, leaving dead wooden gardens, ma- maintaining patches of beer soil. So, so there's things we can we can do. Uh, myself, I like sunflowers. I'm not much of a of a gardener uh, for flowers otherwise, but uh, they attract uh, bees like you wouldn't believe. That's later on in the year, of course, and. Um, uh, blue jays and so on, lots and lots of birds. But anyway, it was a very interesting article. It's uh, an example of what's happening in our world as we uh, as we develop, uh, and we don't sometimes have any idea of the impact of what we're doing because, let's face it, insects, as, as, as nasty as they can be sometimes, they're the bottom of the food chain, and birds and, and, and all the other creatures feed on these. I notice a reduction in certain species of birds in this area in the last few years. Uh, anyway, I'll leave it at that, but it, it's, uh, it's, it's something worth uh, th- thinking about. Charlie, I do appreciate your time. We've got a full uh, um, phone line here now, so I'm going to have to move on. But I really appreciate your call this morning. Thank you very much. Okay, you're welcome. Alrighty. Linda, bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to go now to Greg. Greg Sheaves, hello. Hello. How are you doing this morning, Linda? I'm good, Greg. How are you? Good, good. Just calling in, I was coming up town and I was listening to the guy there that called in about the find of the old shipwreck at uh, Cheeseman's Beach. Yeah. And he was saying as a schooner, no, 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 it's definitely too big for a schooner. 
you know, this piece, if you look at the video by uh, Corey Purchase and looking down, like it's a fairly wide, blunt-type structure looking more like the old-type sailing ships. And he said, like, the pieces that were sticking out of the keel was steel rods. No, it's not. It's big, long, two-inch diameter copper rods, probably two, two-and-a-half feet long, that was driven down through the keel to stack it to make it deep. And, you know, when you're building a schooner and you're using planks big enough to use two-inch wooden dowels, and the dowels went all the way in through the planks, in through the, the main knees, and then they had them all cut and wedged with feather wedges inside and out to make them tight, and then they were sawn off. And, you know, those ribs itself, ribs or knees, whatever you want to call them, like they were cut from trees probably like 30 or more inches in diameter in order to get the root to still be cut and still be 14 by 16 inch, you know, sizes. So, you know, it's definitely a, a fairly big ship. And even the pieces that drove ashore on the on the beach that was either stacked or continued as a, a keel on that ship are still pieces 14 inches by 14 inches by 40 feet long. That's big trees. That's it's massive. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so for him to say a schooner, like I saw Newfoundland schooners and stuff, you know, coming up from down the coast years and years ago, and they were only tiny compared to the structure. And like I say, the piece still that's still connected to the bottom because the the actual structure that's there is swinging back and forth because it's still buried in the sand, I guess. But just that piece alone is 100 feet long. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, so, like, now I don't know what's at the end of that, what's still floating. I don't know if there was, like, more to the keel or if that's the end of the keel. But, like I say, it's a pretty big uh, big ship and, and no no steel nails used. Wow, so any any thoughts in your mind as to what it could be? Well, like I say, I'm just thinking it's probably a ship that's a couple of hundred years old. And, like, I was speaking to some residents of Cape Ray because I wasn't really familiar with the beach back when the railway ran, but where that ship is to now, or the piece that's there that came exposed from erosion, you know, one time people walked on that sand. So that ship has been probably there for, you know, could be 150, 200 years because, you know, that's a lot of sand, and the actual wood itself was, you know, preserved, I guess, under the sand, and it wasn't even eaten by sea worms. Yeah, so it was and, buried and, over and, and now exposed. Yeah, so now that's why it came out of, you know, now that people can see it. But, you know, it swings with the tide because I guess one of the, their knees or whatever you want to call it is still submerged in the sand holding it. You know, so it didn't come from out of ways because if it did, it would be still moving around in the sand, but it's not. It's still floating back and forth, like rotating. Wow. So have you been down to see it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm not going to make comments unless I go there first day and see it. Like, you know, we went there on Saturday and, uh, you know, looked at the actual ribs. I got pictures taken. I shared on Facebook of the ribs and how big they are. Like, I put my gloves alongside the pieces just standing up on the sand and, my my winter glove is probably 10 inches long, and, you know, you can tell that these ribs are probably 14 by 16 by, you know, they're probably 10 feet long one way and 6 or 8 feet another. So, so the know, pictures don't do it not, any justice is what you're saying. 
no, you got to actually stand by it. And, and it's fascinating back when they built this rig because they even used some kind of a mixture of tar and pitch and wood chips to put on all the joints to seal it. So, and like I say, for, it's just amazing how they could build such a big structure back so long ago when there was no power tools. And, and every it is. Hole, it is to see the engineering drilled, there. Yeah. Yeah, and like every hole that was drilled in that ship was two inches diameter, and someone had to make all of those two-inch wedges with no no electric lathes and stuff to work with. Like, you know, all probably turned by hand somehow. And to actually saw a tree 30-inch diameter and, you know, still end up with beams and stuff, you know, 40 feet long and 14 inches square. Any guesses as to where it might have been made? Uh, Based on what you've seen? uh, I'm thinking of something that came from Europe somewhere because it's just, uh, it's too big for something produced in Newfoundland that, that far back. Well, it's uh, certainly a mystery. I hope, hopefully, people who uh, you know, maritime history buffs are are big, as you know, right around the world, and everybody loves yeah. to uh, to uh, you know um, share their knowledge on these things. So uh, maybe we might start getting some ideas about where it was made, what kind of wood it might be, um, you know, and narrow down some of those possibilities. Yeah, because like the manufacturing of copper has been around like for a long, long time, but steel like it would have been all rusted. But all these big copper uh, dowels, you know, were manufactured and you know uh, made true in like say a two-inch diameter, and then probably drove it on down through the keel, and then planted on each side, you know, with heat and you know with uh, a banging force to hold it all together. But it's uh, it's a pretty amazing structure. Greg, I'm so glad you gave us a call this morning. I'd like to hear from others who might have some ideas about it. No problem. And I just want to clarify that, uh, you know, he thought it was steel dowels, but it's not. It's copper. All right. Really appreciate this, uh, Greg. Thank you. No problem. Linda. Thank Alrighty. you. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Your thoughts? Uh, give us a call. Uh, we're going to take a very short break. When we come back, we hope to speak with you. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. And we are back. We're going to go now to uh, Rudy. You're on the air. Hello, Rudy. Yes, good morning, Linda. How are you? I'm good. How are you this morning? Great, great, and thanks for taking my call. Um, We're with Emmaus House Food Bank, uh, which is open every day uh, from 1 to 4. But but today, because of the impending weather, we won't be open. So I just uh, hope that uh, any people who uh, are intended or were intended, rather, to visit the uh, Emmaus House today will take note of the fact that we will not be open today. But uh, weather permitting will be open the rest of the week from 1 until 3. So, uh, and that might fall under a, a public service announcement, Linda. And uh, if you would be kind enough to probably repeat it a couple of times during the morning, if you yes, if you no would. problem. Uh, where is Mamea's house? It's right up between. It's right between behind the Basilica, the Basilica of St John the Baptist, and right next to St Bond's School. So uh, people come in the door, the, uh, gate, the uh, driveway for St Bond's School, and we're just to the left of the archway. So uh, we're pretty easy to find. So you must see a fairly high traffic. 
we do and an and increasing volume of traffic, Linda, with uh, more and more complexities, uh, for want of a better word. So, yes, we're quite busy. So people yeah. who uh, rely on Amaze House, um, you'll be closed today because of the weather, uh, but yeah. back to regular operations tomorrow? Yes, uh, weather, weather permitting, uh, we'll be back uh, to regular operations. And uh, it's our policy uh, that when schools close, we close because, you know, the schools and everything else close to reduce the, the pedestrian traffic on the roadways. So we uh, run parallel to that. I gotcha. Well, uh, Rudy, I'm uh, really pleased that you called. Uh, Mayus House Food Bank closed today due to the weather and uh, will reopen tomorrow, weather permitting. Yes, and thank you so much, Linda, for taking my call. Thank you. And have you have a nice day. You too. All the best. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Uh, we're going to go now to Eugene. Hello, Eugene. Good morning, Linda. Good morning. you got a busy show on the go? Yes, indeed. Yeah, well, thank you to you and David and VOCM for giving me the chance to get on. And uh, First of all, I want to uh, pass my condolences to our to the MHA and Minister Derek Bragg and, and a friend. And uh, I know I'm a bit late, but I've done it other ways, but I want to do it on VOCM. Uh, uh, yeah, he became a very good friend of mine uh, back years ago when he decided to run for politics. Actually, uh, Linda, I was running for the Liberal Party at the time. It was uh, it was Fogo 28 at the time. And I had some health problems, and I had to step down and put my support behind Derek, and, and he wanted to see it, of course. And uh, we were friends after that, of course, and uh, and we helped to uh, work together to accomplish a lot of things, whether it was uh, roads upgraded and paved and the ferry and the hearings, and this goes on, you know. So, uh, yeah, it was it was sad to hear his passing, such a young man, and uh, my condolences go to his family and friends, and... Yeah, a very, very nice gentleman. Yes, indeed. And he, um, you know, uh, you you run into a lot of people in your life. And um, he was uh, one of the ones that I think a lot of people remember very fondly. Yes, Linda. And if you're in his presence, he made you laugh before he finished the conversation. <laughs> he always, he always, he was always in good, good humor, you know. Uh, uh, before I go, I just want to uh, to uh, remind the public and remind the government, of course, that we're still working on the air ambulance issues. We're still trying to get some air ambulances based in central Newfoundland with, with medical personnel. The public is agreeing with us that this should get done. So what what we're going to do at the next step now is get a petition across the province. So these people that are saying they're in favor with us getting this done would get their name on the petition so the government can act hopefully very soon. And uh, when that RFP is finalized now for the 1st of April that that'll be there that we will have air ambulance coverage in Central Newfoundland and the medical personnel All right Eugene I really appreciate your call Well thank you for the time and I really appreciate it Alrighty Bye bye Uh, We are going to go now to Tony you're on the air Hello Hello Tony Oh good good. thank you Linda Uh, I want to talk to you about this election Okay, the by-election? Yes, it's by-election, okay. yes. Okay, I'm, uh, I'm going to say disabled. I'm not totally disabled, but I can walk, but only so far. I got up this morning. I didn't turn on the radio because I knew it was election day. And at 7.45, I phoned my candidate that I wanted to vote for, looking for a ride to the polling station. I wanted to get ahead of the rush. I thought, 
no answer. So at half past eight, I phoned my transit company that brings me around to bring me to the polling station. I went down to the polling station. Little did I know that it was closed. I didn't know that there was a, that it was closed. Not everybody at that hour in the morning listens to the OCN. Sorry, I listen to it every day. What I'm trying to get at, the uh, candidate that I phoned should have a message on their answering service saying due to inclement weather, uh, voting is tomorrow. Okay, but that's okay. Forget about that. Because uh, I'm starting to get upset and I shouldn't. Uh, again, at 10.15, I started thinking about it after I come home, after a wasted trip of my time. And I started I said, I got to phone that candidate again. I phoned the candidate again, and listen, the four of you better be listening. I phoned the candidate again to uh, uh, to explain my frustration, what happened. I got halfway through telling them, and I was caught up because the time ran out. I never had enough time to leave my number. I left my phone number on the first call this morning. On the second call, it caught off because I ran out of time. So I turned around and immediately phoned back to leave my phone number so they know who I was. And the mailbox was full. My goodness gracious. You expect me to vote for you? If that's the way you're going to treat me, look for my vote now, what are you going to do with me if you get in government? Now, all I'm going to say, every one of you, the four of you, Open up your mailboxes and consider your candidates. You know, that's all I have to say, Linda. I want to put that message up because I'm positive. Well, uh, Tony, um, they uh, they want your vote when it comes down to it, but um, yes, if you're not getting any answers. No. Well, I had a particular candidate that I want to vote for. And uh, look. It was election day, the day before. If I was running and I'm a nobody, I'd have a bank of telephones behind me waiting for answering calls and phoning people. I can't even leave a message. The mailbox is full. I won't return one. So who am I gonna, what are they going to do when they get some government? No. No, that don't work that way. The candidate that I was going to vote for knows I'm not naming anybody. But I'm just saying, Ali, I, I didn't phone anybody else like uh, to say anything, only the candidates, so they should know I'm voting for. But this, myself, I, I think this is very ridiculous in the simple fact that if you can't answer a phone call or can't respond to a message, you know, for a simple fact, okay, the... Uh, uh, voting day is put up till tomorrow. At least on your answer machine said due to inclement weather, uh, polling is tomorrow. I didn't know. Not everybody in this world wakes up at 7 o'clock morning puts out the OCM. I'm sorry. I listen to it every other day. I go for a walk and the OCM is there. But this candidate will know and better smarten up. Tony, I appreciate your call this morning. Thank you very much. Thank you. All righty. Bye-bye. Um, Thank you.
your thoughts on that, by all means, give us a call. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we hope to speak with you. And we're going to go now to the uh, leader of the NDP and the MHA for St. John's Centre, Jim Din. Hello, Jim. Good morning, Linda. How are you? Good. Have you been out skating on Monday Pond yet? <laughs> uh, I watch people skating on Monday Pond, but I don't think you'd want to see me on a pair of skates. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a little bit better on skis, maybe, but uh, no, it would only be a... <laughs> It could be the end of my career. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, uh, I was, uh, I don't know. It's, it's nice to see. I guess. I hope it's safe. <laughs> I can't I judge think, that, I but think, it looks so nice. I think it is, and I think you know it's interesting. I was looking at, uh, I was driving by yesterday, and I was thinking, wow, this is a while since I've seen like people actually uh, the pond totally frozen over. And where it looked safe, but uh, it's it, it is nice. It's it, uh, you know because uh, I do remember a time when you uh, most of the ponds you you'd be on you'd be on on the pond long before now. But it is nice to see that. I'm uh, I'm waiting for the ice fishing season, so uh, I'm hoping it's enough to uh, you know I'll, I'll be marginally successful with that as well. But uh, <laughs> right we'll on, see. drown a few worms, as they say. Uh, well, that's right. Well, that, that might be the, and an excuse to go out and have a boil up uh, more than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that what you're called for no 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 i just wanted to finish up my conversation i started last week with patty and that i i wanted to, i had started to talk about the um, uh, the education core but i do want to finish up by talking about the vacancies in nursing and about uh the, uh, the uh, a tip that uh, our candidate kim uh, churchill had uh, the, you know with regards to the vacancies in the, in the system and I do want to start out by talking about a conversation I had with a nurse, an emergency room nurse, this weekend. And in uh, she's a, like a, a senior nurse. I said, you know, approaching uh, retirement. I said, so, like, would you stay on? Uh, would you more or less? Would you stay on in in, in the emergency room uh, past your retirement date if the conditions or such that uh, or that would be allow a work-life balance? And she said yes. But right now, um, like the, she talks about the things like you can't even get a break over there. There's no uh, like the, the way that in the in the hospital the managers will not allow for a break. So you you may be on a shift without any opportunity to have a, a formal sit down, a break, lunch, whatever else. So I, 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 it ties into the whole issue. And I heard the minister talk about you know the fact that you've got a number of baby boomers uh, who are probably going to go through the system and they're going to retire. And I would have to argue, it's like teaching. Many teachers would have gone beyond their retirement date, but once when the conditions are such that it no longer allows that work-life balance, <clears throat> People are not going to stick around, and I think uh, when I'm looking at the uh, the whole issue of a of, of a key retention, I think the government, any uh, one who's in power, has got to start asking the questions. Well, you know, we can recruit all we like, but how do we keep people here in the system when we get them? And I know last week Patty was t- talking about the non-compete, um, and I was bringing up the uh, we brought up the notion of uh, like setting a one uh, an end date for the use of travel nurses. And I know Minister Osborne uh, had problems uh, with placing a, an end date on the use of travel nurses. That's problematic. And I would argue this. It's not simply putting an end date on the use of travel nurses because, uh, you know, it's about addressing the issues. Uh, once you set that date, it's then about how do we work towards that date and address the issues there that are uh, that that are, uh, are that are basically um, 
forcing t- uh, nurses or health professionals to leave the system. It's to me that's that's the fir- that's the first thing. If you never if you never set an end date, you never work. To, you you don't have that goal. So we are not only calling for an end date. We're calling for a plan to address the issues that not only nurses but uh, healthcare workers are facing. Whether that's the uh, and we've heard issues raised by the nurses, violence, mandatory uh, violence in the workplace, mandatory overtime. Um, about. We've, we we also believe that maybe there's an opportunity here to take that money that we're now currently paying a, a private agency uh, that's seeing uh, that's motivated by profit and start investing that into the public health care system to incentivize incentivize nurses to to uh, fill the difficult positions um, and to divert that money to the public health care system. So. I think uh, you know when I when I were talking about an end date, it's about here's the end date, and now what are the measures we are putting in place to uh, to make that end date possible? No different than what government did with the uh, putting an end date on the uh, on the Newfoundland Labrador English School District. Here's the end date. Now we're working towards the integration. So I really think uh, you know they're they're missing an opportunity here. Uh, I think there's almost like an addiction to uh, the use of the outside workers. And uh, government is, uh, you know, is re- is refusing to uh, to ad- address the underlying causes. Uh, I look at AAHP. The, uh, the, the you can sort of see the problems there that they, they do not feel respected, that they are not being fairly compensated, that the issues that they're trying to get addressed uh, uh, in through collective bargaining has failed, and they're walking away from it. And I guess the final point, Linda, and I'm sorry for going on, I, I, uh, but I, I think the one thing we've been asking for, and why, and why Kim um, uh, 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 wanted to call that news conference last week, was the issue of transparency. And I do believe this. We were interested in, and Patty asked this: What is the net gain or loss? I think numbers are important, but uh, and and but. I think it's important, more important to know what are the reasons for the loss. That it's not just about numbers; it's about knowing the reason why. And I think you know the fact is, once you're talking about the net gain or net loss, uh, not just about the recruitment, but about how many are in the system, it gives us, a, it allows us to ask, answer, ask the next question, the next question, which is, why are we still losing people? Why are uh, is it? Uh, why are people leaving? Is it simply because they just want to retire? Or is it, is it also because the conditions are such that they're going elsewhere? And I think by focusing, being transparent, focusing on the, uh, the reasons, I think we'll come up with a solution. And that's, the, that's our key, key thing here in, in, in calling that news conference last week. And I guess the key thing that uh, Kim has been uh, is asking for in her and in, 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 in doing that ATIP and what we've been asking for well, for months now. Uh, Jim, I do appreciate your call this morning. Thank you very much. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, we're going to go now to Dave. You're on the air. Hi, Dave. Good morning. How are you this morning? Good, good. And you? Good. Uh, I, I got a few comments on that, that, that wreck or wood that's floating right there on, on Cheatham's Beach, Cape Ray Beach. Actually, that's where I'm from originally. Okay. My dad was latest keeper in Cape Ray. I've got some pictures and some other things that I'd like to send to you. How, how could I get them? Like two, so you can see them and. and uh, well, yeah, on, you on can, yeah, you can send it to uh, feedback, as in give us your feedback, feedback at vocm.com, and just say you know attention, Linda Swain or whatever. 
com. Okay. Because I got some interesting pictures uh, of the actual wreck and or what's left of it there and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And there's also, uh, I've got a, 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 I guess, a copy of something from this guy I found on Google saying what he thinks the ship is, right? It tells her length uh, and what, you know, she were propulsion, which was sailed, non, 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 it goes. And I would, I think it even says the name. I, like I looked at it yesterday. I never looked at it closely, but I looked at it yesterday. And uh, I'd say with that, with the name, you could probably Google it and go in and find out more, right? If right. Uh, the ship. Have you got any thoughts on it? Uh, no, not really. But I think it's a sailing. I don't think, I don't think it's 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 it had a motor aboard. At least not for for propulsion. I, I think it was a sailing ship, and it's really really big. That keel. And I got one shot here, and man, I tell you, it, it's some length, right? It's unreal, and, and you can see a lot of the construction on it too, if you zoom in on it, right? It's well, amazing. People love a good mystery, don't they? Especially one that you don't <laughs> expect. You know, one that is literally like falls in your lap, <laughs> like this one has. And well, to know that it was buried and preserved for so long, presumably, if it's as old as what some people say, and now to suddenly expose itself like that is really quite amazing. I would say that hurricane I went through a couple of years ago had a lot with uncovering a lot of that stuff, right? And, and, and you know, all of a sudden, the wave, wave action, it, it, it suddenly appeared, you know? You know it, it did, in. yeah. You know it did, yeah. yeah. Like, uh, I, I know that area now. I'm underwater. It's a different thing, of course. But, but Cape Ray, I grew up, and, I mean, that's where I, that's where I grew up. So I, I know everything, like the back of my hand, right? In fact, the Dorset Eskimo sites up by Cape Ray and, and, and Lighthouse, I was the one that started it. I found three arrowheads and got that going, right? Is that right? Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was a long time ago, I tell you. And they <laughs> say that entire coast now is, uh, you know, you're going to see more and more of these types of uh, buried treasures, so to speak, because of, of all the erosion. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And you get this big wave action around the shores and all the other stuff. I tell you, it's amazing, you know. And, and there's actually... There's actually two sites there. One probably where they lived, the Dorset. Now I'm gone to a different thing, of course, but but there's another one too. And and I told the people that were there digging, and they just wouldn't pay no attention. But I did go back three years ago, and I did pick up another arrowhead right where I said it would be in that area. Right, but you know, I, I guess they had education, and I didn't. But I knew it because uh, you know, I, like I said, I lived there. We knew that like the back of our hand. Fascinating stuff. Dave, well, I, I really appreciate your call this morning. So if you want to fire that off to feedback at vocm.com, feel free. I'll do that. I'll send it to you shortly. All right. Thank you very much. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And we're up to news time now with uh, Brian Medora. You're listening to Open Line. Now is your chance to give us a call. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. And we're back on VOCM Open Line. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly, who is off today. We're going to go now to the opposition education critic, Paul Din. Hello. Good morning, Linda. How are you? Good. Do you yeah. guys coordinate or what, you and your brother? Oh, no, uh, we were happened to be both in the line at the same time, and... Uh, Tim asked me to let him go first or me, and I said, by age before beauty, so <laughs> let Jim go on that one. You know, all good. Uh, it's interesting, though, uh, 
because he was talking about his uh, skating abilities, right? And uh, I thought about that. I said, it's probably, uh, you know, a theme that I'm calling in on. You know, people talk about skating around the issues, and uh, uh, that's what I'm calling on when it comes to uh, this education announcement that uh, that the minister made last week. Yeah, the, the education, education accord. accord. What, yeah. what do you think of it? Well, you know what? It's... Uh, I was really astounded by it because we see all the reports and studies that have been done on this. It's it's amazing, you know, and uh, and to come out and say that uh, I think her words were, you know, looking at a targeted approach and uh, looking at actionable items, which m- leads me to say, well, you know, what, was there anything like that in the reports that have been done? And I guarantee you there has been. And to, you know, this amounts to kicking the can down the road and, uh, uh, you know, we really need action there. You know, again, like I said, you, you don't just skate around the issues. You got you got to deal with the issues that are there, and the ones that are suffering here, Linda, are the the kids, our children, and youth who are in the schools, uh, our teachers and education professionals. You know, uh, we we've heard on you know uh, student violence on teachers, uh, student on student violence. We we've heard about the uh, shortcomings of the inclusive uh, classrooms because we don't have the resources here to deal with this. You know, these are all issues that have been there and remain there and really need to be actioned. But isn't this proof positive then um, that, you know, with all of these various uh, reports and studies that have been done over the last little while, identifying various areas of education that need to be uh, addressed or where gaps remain, isn't this time now for um, arguably an educational accord? No, this is a time for action, to be quite honest with you. It really is. I mean, you look at the Premier's task force on improving educational outcomes. That was very extensive. I mean, the appendix in that uh, that document of all the groups that were engaged in that, in that piece of work is is very lengthy. And uh, lots of items that are coming out of there. I mean, even the... Uh, the uh, uh, children's uh, uh, critic, the youth uh, children's advocate, you know, in her report in 2019 on uh, chronic absenteeism, I mean, he, she essentially said there's enough information to act. She, that was her words in, in a press release. You know, government doesn't need to be researching this forever. You know, and uh, last month, the, the minister announced a uh, teacher recruitment and retention think tank. You know, and her comment was somewhere along the lines that, you know, education in Newfoundland and Labrador is about to be transformed. And then a month later, we hear, no, it's actually not going to be transformed until until this report, this accord is done in a year's time, which is going to deal with engagement and transformation, which is another issue that's being redone. Uh, you know, to me, uh, when you do these reports, when you do the uh, post-secondary education report, when you do a symposium on learning loss, when you do the uh, piece on absentee the teacher allocation review, you know, this think tank, the review of the operating program and child services, all that. Like, why are we doing this if we're not going to act on it? You know, and th- this is the issue I have here. So now we have another year, it's going to be another year before this report comes out, uh, and whether it gets acted on immediately is another issue. But, you know, there's issues out there that need to be dealt with. Like, we look at the schools as a good example. You know, the Paradise School, uh, high school here in Paradise that uh, that uh, I've been advocating for some time, and we've got a parent committee together now that's been, been very, very effective in advocating for that. You know, that's a school that was needed here nine years ago, and probably longer, and nothing done there. 
and then you talk about school. And, and we're not pitting one community against the other, but you've got to deal with the questions. You know, the school in Portugal Coast, St. Philip's, is going to be a lot smaller. What does that do for programming for those st- students down there? These are issues that got to be dealt with right away. You have an announcement of a school in Kenmount Terrace, of which they don't know, government does not know what the composition of that school will be in terms of age groups or not. Like, it's time to do something, to actually act, look at the allocation models, look at why absenteeism isn't, isn't ha- is uh, happening. And we know the answer because it's in reports, and deal with it. I, I just find it so troubling that uh, here we are, let's do another report, let's do another accord. Uh, we knew what happened with the health accord. It was a great, a good document, there's no doubt. But, you know, it ended up that nothing could be answered when it came to health because they said, oh, no, wait for the accord, wait for the accord. Now the accord's out there. It's been a bit of a piecemeal approach to implementing it. So I don't have a lot of faith in the fact that, uh, uh, you know, this accord is going to solve all the issues uh, because we have the issues now that are identified and are not being addressed. I mean, that's, that's a big issue for me. Paul Din, uh, no doubt we'll be uh, talking more and more about this in the in the days and weeks to come. I really appreciate your time this morning. Thank yeah. you very much. And I just, uh, Linda, I just want to throw out there, I've been going door to door in the evenings with Tina and Ari on this, in par- Paradise especially, and education has been uh, been brought up a number of times, and in particular the uh, lack of a high school in Paradise, which would help ease the burden on the adjacent uh, communities. So, you know, I can tell you, uh, Tina's been very good at the doors in addressing those issues, and uh, I guarantee you I will not stop addressing those issues. These are issues that need to be addressed. Our, our whole economy, our whole uh, society depends on a well-educated uh, uh, children and youth, and that's our foundation, and it need, deserves the attention immediately, really. Paul, thank you. Thank you. All the best. All righty. Bye-bye. Paul Din is the opposition opposition education critic. We're going to go now to uh, caller on line three. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no trouble. It's my first time calling, so give me a second here. (laughs) All right. Welcome to the show, by Um, the way. Thank you. I'm calling now regarding a fishing trawler that has been gone away since the beginning of December, um, I feel as if their worker rights has been taken away from them. Um, Because they are past the 200-mile limit, the company is telling them that the Newfoundland Labor Act doesn't apply to them. Um, There was a death on the boat to a grandfather, and uh, this person was denied uh, coming home to be with his family, again, because the uh, Newfoundland Labrador Act doesn't apply to them. Um, the guys are out there. They have the majority of the food is gone. They have no laundry detergent. They were all sent with a case of water each. Um, and, and I just feel that the the Safety Act is just is just out the window with this situation. Um, how many uh, so, how many crew on board? Do you know? Um, I'm thinking there's more than fifteen. Okay, and this is this is a factory yeah. freezer trawler or? This is a, yes, factory freezer trawler. And what are they at now? Is that shrimp? Um, I believe they are at turbot right now. Oh, turbot, okay. And you say that's outside the 200-mile limit? Yes. And this is a, how long is the trip so far? Um, They've been gone in total from their families since the 8th of um, December. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, now their sister, their sister boat dropped off some more water to them, I believe, last week. Um, but when you have 
all those hardworking men and whatnot, and they're right in the salt water. I mean, water is kind of a necessity, whether you're you're home on the island or you're out at sea, you know. So this trip uh, is is all, you know, they don't come inshore at all. They're out there for the duration. They are. They've been, they come in, uh, if the weather gets bad, they come close to land. Um, but other than that, they're out, they're out there for 40 plus days. Wow. Uh, and where yeah. are they? Off the East Coast, off the coast of Labrador? Where are they? Um, that's where they uh, were. Um, they're starting to head home here now. Um, they're starting to run out of fuel. Oh, dear. So, so there's a lot so of they, issues there. There are so many issues. And are they represented by uh, the union? or um, They are not unionized, no. Um, but the said people at the office here uh, in St. John's are telling them basically to suck it up. And, uh, again, they keep going back to the Newfoundland Labor Act doesn't apply to you. Um, so it, it's just been a lot. Um, they've been drinking a lot of distilled water right now because there's a line that's hooked up in the boat. So that's what they've been drinking. So what I'm wondering is because they are past the 200-mile limit and the company is tell them, telling them, the Newfoundland Labor Act doesn't apply to you. Um, I am wondering, um, does, shouldn't the Coast Guard Act or something apply to them? Like, these are still human beings working, you know, for their families, for themselves. There still should be a, sa- a health and safety act applied, shouldn't there? You, you're raising a very good question, and I would think it would be from the port of, you know, or whoever the owners are. I I don't know enough about maritime law or anything like that, uh, maybe, or the labor code for that matter. So maybe there's somebody out there who might be able to tell us. Um, have any of these uh, crew members fished, uh, you know, in these kinds of circumstances before? Uh, yes, yes. So yeah. this this trip is different, then, is what you're saying? The, uh, it, it's gotten worse, but this has been the worst since they've been been out to the sea. Absolutely, for food, for um, for water, for respect. For um, there's a lot of situations again that I can say, but um, it's just they. I feel like they don't care about the employees at this point. It's just more so, you know, get the job done and. Uh, it is what it is. So I would greatly appreciate if somebody knows anything about, you know, um, what what they're entitled to. Um, you know, I would greatly appreciate to hear from from that. And if you uh, have you have you tried contacting the union just to see what you know their understanding of it is? I haven't contacted the union. I have, however, contacted the company, and um, basically, they're telling me, you know, too bad. Right, like you know, this this thing happens, kind of thing. So, I just, I just, I've been contemplating this for a while to come on open line and talk about it because, um, you know, you're opening up a can of worms. But at the same time, when it comes to the health and safety of, uh, you know, all these humans, all these individuals, um, that means more to me than the can of worms that is opened. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, and I understand where you're coming from because, you know, you've got a loved one out there, I, I presume, that uh, you're very concerned about who's uh, obviously upset enough to let you know about all of this sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I, I'd like to hear from others who happen to know anything about, you know, what rules apply and and what can be done or what um, recourse they might have or what legislation is involved. Um, I would encourage them to do so. Um, thanks for bringing it to our attention. 
Thank you for having me. Alrighty. Take care. Bye bye. Um, yeah, that's a that's an interesting scenario there. If anybody happens to have any information for that woman, they can certainly give us a call. I just got some pictures of Desi. That's the missing dog we heard from uh, earlier in the show. Um, gentleman calling on behalf of his sister who's down from away and uh, their dog got away on the uh, south side road in St. John's. Uh, she's been seen around a few times. Uh, Desi, light brown with short hair, medium to large size. Uh, I'm looking at her pictures now. She's a little doll. Uh, very lo- Lots of personality there. Big long legs, kind of shepherdy uh, I would say. Uh, and she's like a tawny brown color the, uh, throughout. What a face. Look at that with the big tall ears uh somebody just said that they saw her by the coast guard um so anybody who happens to see desi roaming around she's not used to the area she's probably a little bit scared you can give um this number a call 730-1124 and uh i bet you a darn dave uh williams is going to be looking for her now when he gets off his shift (laughs) he's a dog lover uh did i take my break here um Dave or yeah okay I gotta take a break he he says so that's what I'm gonna do I'm gonna take a short break when we come back we hope to speak with you and we're back we're going now to Tony you're on the air hi Tony how are you today Linda oh good how are you I'm good, thanks. I had that nasty cold, and then I got rid of that. Then I got the cough, and I couldn't get the phone in running. Oh, <laughs> but anyway, I have, I want to touch on healthcare and probably tie it into the election, by-election. I was, I mean, so far we've had overcrowded. We got shortage of everything, and we they started the eight one one because they wanted to relieve the pressure on the emergency. Now in 2022, January 2022 to November 2022, 11 months. They went over the calls by over 100, they went up, they got a calls of 160, over 165,000 calls. Now, they only got a contract for 72,000 hours, and after that, they've had to pay an extra bit average of $62 a call. Now, they went over by 93,000 calls. Now, extra money that's, you know, and then out of that, hundred over 165,000 was over 75, was over three quarters, which is over 75% of them, they were sent to emergency which is double the funds again. And then there were 1,200 out of them were sent a toll to call 911. So, I mean, the money that they're wasting is unbelievable. I mean, it's all doubled to pay what they're, what they're already charging. I mean, you got to go to, her, uh, to emergency. That's double the money. Cause you had to phone 811. you got to phone, you know, and all this money they're paying out. I mean, they're already giving them a contract for $31 million, and then anything like that is after, I mean, $61 a call or $62 a call heads up. So then they got this, uh, now they're bringing in this, the nurses, which is fly in, fly out, and they're giving them $80 million or more a year, but yet they're paying our nurses $4 million a year. And the sad part about it is that here we are, we could have paid nurses double and still save $10 million. I mean, it's just unbelievable the money that they're wasting. And then they got this virtual care, which they gave a company $22 million in the States for two years, and a doctor and, and his company here in central Newfoundland was going to car- charge $7 million, another $15 million wasted. So, I mean, this is the money that they're doing, and now they're going to open the dis- – once again, we're going to save an emergency. Everything is saving an emergency. Now they're, going to, now they're going to open up Costco. And they're going to put down X-rays and this ultrasound and all this stuff they're bringing in that we don't have anybody for. So we're going to close down the outpatients uh, in uh, Northeast Avalon 
and for take their workers there and bring them up to Costco. But yet it's going to cost an extra $84 million. And we don't have technology. We don't have technicians uh, for, the, for the Alberta uh, to operate it. And on top of that, we got we had there before, Tom was always on saying about how we don't have enough for it. hurting everywhere all over. But we had eight radiation therapists quit in nine months because they were overworked, and yet they were getting $10 less an hour. And the same thing with our respiratory therapists. I think it was there was going to be nine graduate last year. I don't even know if they got an offer. So what's the solution, Tony? Um, you know, uh, many have said, you know, it's not just the money. Uh, money's nice, but uh, uh, you have to be able to get that work-life balance happening too. So what's the solution? Well, to me, part of it is that when you're when you when they're getting anywhere in Canada, when they can go and get this money, why would they come here? We're under overworked and underpaid. I mean, if you were paying a decent money like you're paying anywhere else, you wouldn't have any problems. You would get the workers here. You had doctors phone here when that time Andrew Fury comes on and said, we want to bring doctors home. And they'd had, and it was one guy on the same, they had to take a 40% cut in order to come home. And the same thing with one of the nurses, one of the doctors graduated here, he never even got an offer from government. So this is what's going on here. And then they're coming on and saying, they're not, it's almost like they're pushing them away instead of trying to hire them. And the same thing with the four, and the money in the, in the healthcare is wasted. So you take now the, that, health, that new hospital there, Waterford Hospital, the, con- the contract that they offered to give it to them was a $40 million over what the last one bid, and then they cut 100 rooms, and they never re- reduced the price. I mean, this is the stuff that's going on in our healthcare, the money that's wasted. But yet they won't pay our own workers. And that's why our nurses quit. Our nurses quit because there was, uh, you know, the working condition was terrible, and the government never done nothing about it. And which ties me into, once again, I mean, all this right now, uh, into the by-election, which comes around and we got to school now. And, and Fred said he was glad to be a part of this. He was the Premier's special advisor who was proud of what the Premier has done. And he was a big part of it. And here you get, you got this Paradise Now High School, once again, that they're offering, two days after he announced that he was going to run for the Liberal Party. And how would that, like, why is he a special advisor? Why didn't he announce it before if he was going to do anything about it? And the same thing with our fear, the fear he's going to bail out. He knows what to do, and he's going to try and get him for him. I'm sure he was a special advisor. He could have had it done. I mean, this is the stuff that the liberals get down with. It's unbelievable. As the, I mean, the same thing when he took over first, after a couple of years, they laid off 100, 244 teachers. And then he said, we're short. Yeah, I suppose we are. Like all this stuff that, you know, that liberals have done, it's unbelievable what they've done and gotten away with. All right, Tony, I appreciate your call this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, and have a great day. All right, you too. Bye-bye. And this uh, traffic advisory, just before we go to news, uh, a mattress and box spring just blew out of the bed of a pickup truck on the Outer Ring Road. It's on the roadway as we speak. It's in the westbound lane near Portugal Cove Access. Uh, So uh, just be aware of that. A mattress and box spring blew out of a pickup truck on the Outer Ring Road. Uh, It's lying in the roadway right now, westbound lane near Portugal Cove access uh, so please be careful if you're driving that in that area uh, that is a major traffic um, uh, problem for sure we are up to news time now with VOCM's Brian Medora when we come back we hope to speak with you every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin the cabin party with Brian O'Connell Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM 
Boy, I have to say, VOCM listeners are something else. If you want action, call VOCM Open Line, and people will come uh, from every direction to help. We uh, just received an email from Mike, if you recall. He was the one that called about his sister's missing dog, Desi, over on the south side in St. John's. Well, he says that he's received numerous calls from people telling him that uh, they've spotted the dog in and around the area of the Coast Guard on the south side. And uh, one of our listeners has even offered to you her drone to try and pinpoint the dog and hopefully get her back before this weather starts. Uh, so um, they're out there now doing that. So uh, congratulations uh, to the listeners who are doing what they can to get Desi back in uh, in the warm before this storm starts. We're going to go now to the uh, PC candidate in the by-election in Conception Bay East, Bell Island, Tina Neary. Hello, Tina. Good morning, Linda. How are you? Good. And you thought, you thought the campaigning part anyway was going to be over by today. (laughs) Did we ever? Absolutely. Yes. And and I'll tell you, that's why uh, that's why I'm calling this morning, because, you know, we've spent a lot of time on the campaign trail this last month and uh, we've we've heard all the issues at the doors. And one of them just came um, sort of full full frontage to us yesterday when we realized how many times our phone rang from individuals on Bell Island who were so afraid of not being able to vote today if Elections NL had not deferred the the, uh the election till tomorrow, there was a number of individuals, their, their plans are when there's a storm coming, they have to go the night before to get into town so that they're here for their appointments in the morning at the hospital or the doctor, and then they have prepared knowing full well that they won't get back that day because quite likely by the time it's uh, they want to return, you know, the boat would be off service. But in that case, as of yesterday, before we heard, their concern was if we don't get back, we don't get to vote. And so I just wanted to, to bring attention to that again and, and for those over there that may have been listening, that this is why we have, uh, you know, we've been talking about it and this is why our leader, Tony Wakeham, has committed to addressing the needs of the shore base manager that is necessary as well as any other contingency plans that, you know, a shore base manager isn't going to fix the weather necessarily, but certainly anything that we can be doing that are contingency plans so that Bell Islanders don't have to be faced with these kind of worries and concerns. Oh, for sure. And we take these things for granted, don't we? Uh, when you don't have to, you know, make all of those kinds of uh, contingencies just to do your ordinary business. That's right. And, and like I said yesterday, I mean, we talk about it, we sort of, you know, we, we think about all of the different uh, scenarios that they may, you know, be engaged in or that they may have to manage. <clears throat> Excuse me. But, um, yeah, we, that wasn't one that we had thought of until yesterday when, when we had the, uh, you know, when we had the residents of the island calling and concerned and us realizing, oh, my gosh, this, this could be an, another issue for sure. Of course, we were thrilled that, uh, that the election did get deferred and all of these individuals will be able to get back home safely um, and there will be no issue. But yeah, I just wanted to, you know, to just address the fact that this is very real for these people and this is something that we need to address. And just in listening this morning, it's, uh, I, I'm listening to, to your other uh, individuals who've, who've come on to chat with you this morning, Linda, and, and they're addressing 
um, exactly what it is we're talking about. I mean, I've listened, you know, I listened to MHA Din, and uh, I did have a lot of opportunity to spend time with him throughout this campaign and to hear what people are saying at the doors about education and to, and to have him share with me what his experiences has been as the opposition critic. And then uh, the gentleman that you know, just called in, uh, you know, uh, a few listeners, or excuse me, a few that were speaking ago about uh, health care and all of the issues that are happening with health care and, and um, you know, teachers and recruitment and retention of, of workers. I mean, it's just, it doesn't stop. <laughs> and it's it's just, there's so much that we need to be able to just stop and address and, and find new ways to manage the situations that clearly have not been working for a number of years now. And I'm thrilled to know that our leader, um, Tony Wakem has determined that when we form government, this all is going to be revisited. Everything needs to, you almost have to kind of start from scratch again, I suppose, to just, you know, figure out what we can be doing that's going to be helpful and not a hindrance to the people of, uh, of, of our district. So. so what do you do on yeah. a day like today, a snow day uh, before the by-election? A snow day. How exciting. So I think we're just, uh, you know, uh, everybody's just kind of hanging in. I hope that everybody on our team uh, took the time to sleep in this morning. <laughs> I hope that they're uh, taking some time for themselves today. We are all in connection together and we're still chatting and getting ready now for tomorrow. But um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit of a break for us. You know, we're still, my campaign manager is still active. We can't get him to stop for anything. But, uh, you know, I just, I, and I would like to take the time now to Linda to just give a shout out to to the folks that have been involved with us throughout the last month I, I cannot I almost don't have in words how how much they have helped and how much of their time they have given and I just want to give a big thank you to to all of them and to the and to the people of the district who you know on the coldest days have been opening their doors to us and receiving us and supporting us and so um, it's been it's been a great month regardless of the outcome I I can say that you know what we've we've had a lot of fun and uh, and we've been waiting very patiently for this day now tomorrow <laughs> and uh, and you know we're, we're we're very confident and uh, we're very excited for the end of the day tomorrow so uh tina um how are you getting the word out to uh people who you know uh, wanted to get to the polls today and, and may not be aware that uh, today you know that the uh the election has been uh, deferred till tomorrow that's right, and that's difficult because when you want to do something fairly quickly, you, you you know we access social media, but not everybody listens to social media, or excuse me, not everybody uh, is on social media, and then it comes up through you know the news and and um, and even you discussing it this morning, and and you know it's up on the news and VOCM, and we had somebody say you know not everybody reads VOCM, you know, and so it's 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 a difficult piece to be able to address everybody, but we're doing what we can. We're answering our phones this morning and ensuring that you know we're we're available to people that uh, that have questions. Um, we have people calling today to ensure that they we were going to ride, uh, drive them today, but to ensure that they still have a ride for tomorrow, which absolutely we uh, have everybody all uh, geared up and ready to be able to get people to the polls when necessary. And so it's just it, it was a difficult one for sure uh, because I, there's no doubt in my mind that some people did show up at polling stations this morning not aware, but. Um, you know, we do we do the best we can with the word of mouth that we have available to us. Tina Neary, I do appreciate your time. Thank you very much. And thank you so very much. Have a wonderful day. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we hope to hear from you. And we are back. We're going to go now to Ruby, who's been waiting a while on the line. Hello, Ruby. Good morning, Linda. How are you? 
am fine, thank you. A wonderful show you're having there this morning. Thank you. Linda, I'm going to change it a little bit. I want to talk about the tent city and the homeless people that are out there with an upcoming storm. I have not been feeling well for the past, well, since New Year's, I had the flu. So I went on a mission Saturday, and my mission is always going out, finding those people on the street and giving them a pair of mittens or a pair of socks or a blanket or or a food cart or a bit of food. This Saturday, I started out. I went to a friend and picked up some clothes and things she had for those type of people. Then I went to Gathering Place and dropped some things off. Then I went to Tent City, as I'll call it Tent City. I had not been there since Christmas, so I don't know what's happening. I've not been up on it. But believe me, Linda, what I saw just tore my art apart. Um, Are there many people there now? Because I know that they did uh, uh, find um, uh, solutions, I guess, for some people there. But uh, there's people coming and going all the time. So what's the scenario there now? There were six people there. I spoke to three. I didn't see the six, but I was told there were six. There's a brother and a sister. They told me they had no water, no food. The, the young lady was standing saying, can you get me some gym pants? She had no dry pants to wear. They, it was very cold, even though we had some sunshine Saturday. But they were very cold, and they were hungry. So I made a commitment. I said, I will go back, and I will find some things, especially some food, and I will come back. I left, and I left crying. I said, oh, my God, for this day and age that somebody has got to live like this, why? Why is it happening? So I challenged Tina this morning, the lady you just spoke to. If she's just waiting on her day to pass for an election tomorrow, maybe she can make a drive to the tent and bring a case of water or a case of juice or something to help those people. We... We need to do something, Linda, so there is no homeless people in this city. And I don't, you know, you and I and everybody can get out and bring them a bit of food, but we need shelter for those people. We got a, a storm coming tonight, and we have six people that I know of. I only know of six. There might be 60 around the city, but I'm telling you, the six that I approached on Saturday has no wood-burning stove to heat them up. I think they may have a little propane eater that they're all getting in one tent and trying to keep warm. They have no way to cook food. This is not good enough. Somebody needs to do something. And I will, I will fight until the last breath goes out of my body for the addiction, for the mental health, and they own that is something that plays very heavy on my heart and not not to look for pity or look for anything on my way back home on saturday when i came to my home i had a phone call from a family member that just hold deed with fentanyl 
had passed away in her 40s, not even a city in another, another province. I got that call. I wasn't expecting it, but I got it. All I could say was, God, give me strength to go back to that tent and give them the things that I promised. Did it. But there are many of us here that don't understand how serious this matter is. Somebody has got to step up. And I know I give credit to Jim Dean. He has done so much for those tent cities. And I have met with him there. We have gone through those tents many times. But it's not enough. Government has got to get those people out of those tents and put them in homes. And we can't wait till the end of February or March. The hotel gets ready. We've got a major storm coming tonight. And there are six people in those tents that have nothing. Ruby, we have to leave it there, but I do appreciate your call this morning. Thank you very much. Thank you. Alrighty. Bye-bye. Uh, your thoughts on what Ruby's had to say? By all means. Uh, you may not get through today, but uh, we'll continue the conversation tomorrow. We're going now to the NDP candidate in the uh, by-election in Conception Bay, East Bell Island, Kim Churchill. Hello, Kim. Hi. How are you doing this morning, Linda? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Finally, uh, I haven't seen my family in over a month. <laughs> So uh, it was nice to actually wake up and uh, and be with my children this morning, which uh, I've long missed. And uh, it was great that it turned out to be a snow day for us so that uh, we can have a little bit of family time. Um, I'm calling today because, uh, of course, it is a snow day. And one of the things that um, uh, came to top of mind for me was the fact that how many parents uh, would not have an opportunity today, like myself, who can't stay home with my children, um, will re- uh, rely on childcare. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I was hearing when I was walking around to um, many of the residents in this district was that they were really, really upset, stressed, and frustrated with the lack of child care. Um, you know, in fact, I, I, I've had several conversations with people who had to leave their jobs, um, mostly mothers, because they could not um, they could not find child care. I had spoken with a doctor who also said that they had to uh, open their clinic later in the day and close earlier um, because of the fact that once again they couldn't get a full day childcare, and so you know, unfortunately, the $10 daycare uh, plan that was rolled out by the Liberal government was done so quickly, um, and it, it really was a situation where the Liberal government was putting the cart before the horse. They chose the lower cost of childcare very quickly over a short period of time, which caused the demand for spaces to exceed the supply. And so, you know, here we have the Liberals once again making announcements without doing the hard work to ensure that the promises that of these services would actually be available to those who rely on them. Um, You know, in my district, we got a brochure right before Christmas around when our our previous MHA had um, retired. And it was from Andrew Fury, Premier Andrew Fury. And it was talking about all the wonderful things happening in this district alone. Now, I don't know how many other people in other districts in the province got a a brochure talking about how wonderful their district is, but we certainly did, uh, which was quite convenient on the on the heels of a campaign uh, election coming up. But one of the things that was noted in this brochure was that they had talked about how they were years ahead of childcare, of where they planned to be. And really the reality is, and people need to know this, is that there's only 258 
more spaces made available since this started. Um, far from the 6,000 spaces that the promises of, of the Liberal government made, and uh, we are nowhere near where we need to be, um, and certainly they are failing to deliver on yet another promise. So this is uh, quite, you know, uh, a, a huge stressful issue because of days like today when we don't have that child care available for people who still have to work, and, you know, um, it's important that we fulfill these promises, and that's one of the things that um, I'm going to do when I get into the House of Assembly is I'm going to be able to put the pressure on government, hold them to accountable, uh, hold them to account to make sure that these promises that they made, they do fulfill them. And, uh, you know, and uh, one of the things that I, I know many people in this province who know my story know that um, I'm a fighter. I don't give up, and I actually don't take no for an answer. Uh, when I get no, that just means I have to work harder, and I will get the answer, uh, which is what we need is this promises fulfilled for um, for the people in this district and for all of the province. Uh, so, Kim, you've got another um, day, I suppose, be, uh, reprieve, if you will, before the uh, the by election. What are the, you you mentioned child care? What else is coming up at the doors? Oh, uh, well, obviously health care is a huge issue. And, you know, I, I just heard uh, uh, the other candidate from the PC party talking, Tina Neary, and she was mentioning health care as well. Um, and, you know, one of the things that is a bit frustrating for me, I'll be honest with you, Linda, is that, you know, the PC party um, candidate talks about all the problems with health care, but it's success of governments is what caused us to be in this situation today. This did not happen overnight. This was literally because of both governments, uh, PCs when they were in government and liberals, of course, who are in government now. And really, the only thing that's up for debate is who made it more of a debacle? Who made this situation worse? Was it the PCs or the liberals? That's the only thing up for debate, because both of them have had a hand in it. And for you know her to discuss uh, how bad the liberals have made it, well, I think um, you know looking in the mirror needs to happen there. Um, in fact, you know many things that uh, have been discussed by the PC candidate, really, you need to ask yourself the question, uh, and I hope people in the district are doing this, why Why is there so many complaints about what the Liberals haven't been doing and, and broken promises in the last number of years when we've had a PC representative here for so long? You know, the, we had a PC representative. So if, it, if they were effective in opposition, would we be having these problems with the Liberal government today? Would we have not had these um, the ferry manager position created years ago? Would we not have had lost our health clinic in Portugal Cove, St. Phillips, years ago? Um, and the list goes on. Would If it was an effective opposition, would any of these things happen? And, you know, I would argue that that's what is required. We need somebody who can be an effective opposition, who can have the strong voice, who will be that strong uh, person uh, to fight for what we all deserve and what we have a right to. And that person is me. There's no question about that. I know I can do the job because I've already done the job before and I've proven it. And I am the strongest voice. Um, and so, you know, we, we are, we got an extra day and I hope people are, are certainly putting some thought and consideration into this. Uh, you know, it, it's a big day tomorrow. We know it's not going to change government, but this is an opportunity where people can really tell government, show a message, um, and, and as well as to the PC party, that they deserve better. They want a strong voice. They want to be heard, and enough is enough. I mean, this is people's lives, like, literally are at stake. And I, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. It's time to stop playing politics with people's lives, and that is exactly what we've seen. Uh, Kim, we, uh, we have to leave it there. You've had the last word on VOCM Open Line today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you.
Thank you. Of course, I just want to remind people that, uh, you know, if they need to uh, find out how to vote or if they need a ride uh, tomorrow, to certainly um, co- contact us at the office. My uh, campaign headquarters is 730-6906 or 739-6387. You have a wonderful day, Linda. You too. Thanks, Kim. Take care. Bye-bye. And uh, good luck to all the candidates in the by-election there. Um, And good news. We're going to end the show with good news. Uh, Desi's back. They got Desi back. That's the dog that was missing over on the south side, uh, new to the area, really scared and all that. They got her back. So that's good. Uh, Good to know, especially now that I see that the snow is falling in Metro. So uh, there you go. Happy ending to the show uh, this morning. Thanks, everyone, for your uh, contributions. Uh, Really appreciate it. We'll be back tomorrow not sure if patty will be in or not uh, but regardless we'll be ready to take your call and uh, vocm's richard duggan will be sitting in for me on news talk this afternoon thanks for listening everyone bye bye for now